Amen. Good morning, Calvary, and Happy New Year to you. I'm excited about this new series. I'm excited about where we're going. Um, I'm excited about all that we have uh, planned. Um, there's still some people coming in, so if you have room in the back, if you could scoot in, that would be great. Um, we're spending the next three months covering the book of 1 Peter. The next three months covering the book of 1 Peter. And before we get into the heart of the book, I, I want us to understand a little bit more about who Peter was. So we're going to dive right in with 1 Peter uh, verses 1, 1 through 2. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, when you start understanding who this is and what this is about and who he's writing, Peter is writing to the early church. The early church was dispersed. And, and I love how this book begins with Peter saying, Peter is writing it. Why is that significant? Why that is significant is because when Peter declares that he is Peter, right? What he's doing is he's saying, I am, this is my name. This is my name. And Peter was given that name by Jesus. When Jesus uh, approached Simon, who was at that time Simon, he walked up and he said, hey, your name is now called Peter, and upon this rock I will build my kingdom. And so that idea that Peter was who he says he was, was going to become a, a very important thing. Peter refers to himself as Peter. And his name means rock. There's a progression of Peter from the uneducated, lowly fisherman to the man who walks on water, denies Christ three times to a central figure of the church. In other words, the person that, that Peter becomes and the reason that Jesus uses Peter and the reason that Peter becomes such a significant figure is that if God can use Peter, he can use me and me. Isn't that encouraging? That if God can use Peter, he can use you and me. And here's this man, and Peter, he speaks with the authority of God. He doesn't just speak with the human. He goes, Peter, an apostle. An apostle uh, rectified the sanctifying, as it says there, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. In other words, as he's following, uh, follow Jesus, as he's become a person who becomes more and more and looks more and more like Jesus, his identity has been wrapped up in who Jesus says he is, and he's become more and more like him, and he's not speaking with the power of Peter anymore. He's saying, God is alive and at work through me. That's super encouraging. Because I don't know about you, there's a lot of times I feel like the guy who would chop a guy's ear off, which Peter did. I feel like the guy who's broken a lot. I feel like the guy who doesn't always have his life together. I feel like the guy, and I love Peter because Peter was the brash, often mistake-filled individual who became one of the main leaders of the early church. And I think that speaks volumes to us today. The purpose of this book, and we're going to uncover this over the next three months, is, is to, to basically to be called to salvation and then to obedience. 
Our January series is really blazing our foundation in our salvation, our identity in that. February is sharing our salvation in everyday life, and March is living it out. So we're going to go into how to have this foundational life and to live it out in the world around us. And, and so as he's calling us to the salvation, we need to understand the salvation was not only for the next life, but for this life. We're going to come back to that a little bit more later. It was written to the Christian people who were dispersed, not just geographic, but people um, who were not at home. And this is symbolic to us because we're not at home. Our home is the next life. But finally, I want you to see about this introduction. To receive our salvation is to receive grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now, grace is the free gift of an undeserved relationship with God. You may not realize this, but you can go to church your entire life and miss out on having a relationship with God. You can give money every single week and miss out on having a relationship with God. You can go and work in the nursery. You can go on a mission trip. You can do all of those things, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have a relationship with God. The relationship with God means that God is in your life, and you're living with Him. Do you have a relationship with God today? Or is church just something you do? As we go into 2019, I, I want us to, to lean into that identity. And finally, I want you to see the idea that it, the way you know you have a relationship with God is you end up having peace. Because peace is the result of having a right relationship. It doesn't mean that everything goes smooth. It doesn't mean that life is easy. It doesn't mean that any of those things. It means that you are at peace. So as you enter this year, are you at peace are you ready to really chase after what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do and, and all of those things? Are you really ready, to, ready to, to embrace what God is calling you to be? A lowly fisherman to a person who changes the world. That could be you. So why don't we do this? And how do we get to the idea of what this is really about? How do we get to the place where we are no longer just this guy, but we become Peter, an apostle, a person who lives for God? Um, how do we become that person who really lives for God every single moment? We have to come to the, the main idea that our identity has to be completely embraced in the nature of who Jesus is. And this is where we get distracted. I don't have a slide for this because I had to turn my slides in for this service very early. But let me give you um, uh, Henry Nouwen's Five Lies of Identity. So this will not be on the screen. You may want to write these down. And I want you to realize that probably one of these lies speaks to you more than others. But in this room, we probably know somebody that either one of the, the one, every one of these lies speaks to. Okay, here's the first one. Five Lies of Identity. I am what I have. I am what I have. Now, when I first think of what I have, I think of money, right? I am material things. And that's a part of that. I am what I have. The problem is with the, building your identity on I am what I have is anything you have can disappear. It's not just money. It's not just cars. It's not just a nice house. It can be I am what I have. I have a family. I am what I have. I have red hair. Uh, someone told me in the last service, you know, I don't think of your hair as that red anymore because I still think of my hair as fire engine red. But when I was in the gas station the other day, this man came up to me, this, this great uh, man. And uh, I say great because, uh, well, let me tell you the story. He walked up to me and he goes, oh, I love your hair. <laughs> now, normally that's a little awkward statement from a dude to another dude. But this was an older man. And then he said the following, I miss it. 
You see, his hair was white because redheads don't turn gray. They turn white. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I used to be known as the redhead. And now I'm just a guy. <laughs> I go, I tell people that all the time, right? And if I'm only known as the redhead guy, then like even last service, people are just saying, your hair's not even that red. I, I know, but I think of it as red, right? And so you end up having your identity lost in that. And I am what I have will one day disappear. So you better not put your identity in that. I am what I do. That's the second lie. I am what I do. My job, my profession. What about being a mom or a dad? I know a lot of people who place their identity in those things. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with having a great profession. And there's nothing wrong with being a mom or a spouse or anything. But how many times do we, get, do we buy into the lie that if, if our kids aren't behaving, then we're not the good parent anymore? And our identity comes crashing in. How many times do we buy into the lie that if work isn't going like we should, that we, it just, you are so much more than what you do. Because grace shows you that you are given something that you do not deserve. And so you don't have to earn anything. You are given the, gr- the grace and the identity of being called a child of God. Third lie. I am what other people say or think of me. <gasps> This is a really, really dangerous one. If this is the one that you fall into, because what ends up happening is you start reading in the tea leaves what people are saying because you don't really know what they're saying. And you start going to the people and going, what are they saying about me? Why? Because you want to be thought of in a good light. You, it's important to you that you have be thought of as a person of character or identity. But the reality is somebody in this world doesn't like you. People don't like me, they tell me. <laughs> I like it when that bald guy preaches. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I like it when he preaches too, but I don't think that's what you meant. So that's another story. Um, You know, people, sometimes people are going to say things to you. And you you can't have your identity based on what people think or say about you. You do realize I'm going to disappoint you eventually, right? If you're in my life close enough, I'm going to disappoint you. And everybody around you is going to disappoint you. And to try to live up to that perfectionism, to try to live up to that standard where everybody always thinks of you as in a positive light is maddening. And it's a lie that you can't live up to. Four, I am nothing more than my worst moment. This is me. This is the one I struggle with, which is why I always try to be so good. (laughs) Good. Because I don't want to have my worst moment right? But let's, let's take it to a whole nother level. I'm nothing worse than my, nothing more than my worst moment. I'm nothing more than my incarceration. I'm nothing more than my divorce. I'm nothing more than my affair. I'm nothing more than that. You don't have to buy that lie because Jesus came to free you Jesus came to say, you don't have to wear the label that the world gives you. You need to embrace who I say you are, and you are a son or a daughter of mine. That's the easy one to talk about. The next one, the fifth one, and the last lie of identity is probably the hardest one. I am nothing less than my best moment. (laughs) You ever known that guy? Uh, What do you mean you're mad at me? Did you not remember in fourth grade I scored that touchdown? (laughs) 
It's the pastor who always works, likes to work in his football skills all the time, you know, like it. And then I juke this way, and then I juke that way, and everybody went crashing down, and that somehow ties into Christianity, but I want you to know I was awesome at football. It's narcissism. Your greatest moment still falls short of the glory of God. And your identity shouldn't be found in the wedding day. It should be found in having the perfect home. It should be found in having the best job. Your identity should be found in Christ. Life seems to be in the pursuit of one of these lies. And Peter, as he's talking about grace and peace, gives us a way to see where our identity should lie. When we talk about 3 through 9, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. I love that because that new birth is the new identity. I'm no longer worthy to have that old identity because that old identity is not one I want. The labels that the world gave me, the life that I, I don't want that anymore. I need a new birth, a new identity, a new hope into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in the praise, the glory, and the honor at the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ in, your, in those times. Though you have not seen him, anybody seen him? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you are not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with the inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if someone asked you, walking into the year 2019, what is your goal for the year? I doubt many of you said, the goal of my year is to receive the salvation of my soul. But that's what Peter calls us to. The goal of our faith in the salvation of our souls is not just, as it talks about in Philippians, the salvation that comes at the end life. It's not a get out of jail free card that one day when I'm no longer breathing, I get to go, woohoo, I get to receive the salvation of our goal, our, my faith. The salvation, we are being saved from the life that we are in now into the new life that is expressed in our life now and transitions into the life that is to come. The goal of our life is to chase after this understanding, this deep-rooted identity that I am being saved from myself into the glory which God has called me to be. That gets me kind of excited. I don't know if y'all are kind of excited. The idea here is that we can have grace and peace in 2019, 2020, and 2021 and beyond because God is going to do something in your new birth and giving you a new identity and a new hope into where you can live with whatever comes our way. The paradigm, the new paradigm that he's calling us to live in is a living hope leading to the fruition of the salvation of our souls. So here's the question. What is our living hope? A living hope is not 
a Star Wars movie, that's a new hope. A living hope is not an easy life. In verse 6, it says, we will suffer. <laughs> Congratulations. The older I get, the more I realize what the definition of a midlife crisis is. I've said this a billion times to my college students. They're tired of hearing me say it. The definition of a midlife crisis is realizing you don't ever have life figured out. Because if you don't have your identity completely wrapped around God and you don't have life figured out, when you turn 40, you sit there and think, I should not be suffering like this. I should have more value. I should feel more worth. And so then you run and buy the sports car or you run and do whatever. You run away from what it really is. You're running from the person you're supposed to be, which is lost in the presence of God. Marriages break up over that. People lose careers over that. Because they think, my life should feel different. Life is hard. But yet, a living hope will lead you to peace, even though life is not easy, and is not always safe, and is not always predictable. Life is hard. Bad things do happen. And if you think that you have your identity wrapped up and you think you know who you are, I would encourage you to this year, open up your mind and realize who God says you are. Because when you find who God says you are, that's when the peace really comes in. So how do we do that? Look back there, it says, because of his great mercy... In verse 3, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from dead and into an inheritance. The new birth, and it talks about through this throughout the New Testament, doesn't use the word there, but the new birth is the idea that we are now adopted into our Father's kingdom. You know the great thing about adoption? It means you're chosen. And God looks down and he says, I love you. You didn't just happen. No whoopsies. You're here by design. You're here for a purpose. And I, I chose you and I want you to be known and, and to be uh, to addressed as my son or my daughter. You are the apple of my eye. And I, I desperately want you to feel peace in my presence. And when we understand that we are adopted and, and we become a newborn child, what happens is instead of trying to figure out life on ourselves, we get to lean into our Father. And when our Father lives His life, it says He leads us, leaves us an inheritance. So what's the inheritance about? You know what the problem with an inheritance is? We don't understand it. We really don't. We don't understand an inheritance because we don't understand that an inheritance is something that is gifted from our Father, not for our benefit, but for our benefit. Let me explain. We think of an inheritance in the modern day world like someone's going to die and leave me money. The character of a family can be found around reading of a will. And we're like, oh, I don't know. Because everybody goes, I deserve, right? You deserve nothing in an inheritance. You know why? You didn't earn it. An inheritance is a gift. An inheritance, just because you were born into a family, you think you deserve something? No. 
An inheritance is a gift. And not only is an inheritance a gift, the purpose of the gift, wait for this. This is deep. This is the part I want you to get. The purpose of the inheritance in the Old Testament was to stabilize your life to continue to do the work that the father had started doing. So when the father passed away, he left his sons the farms, right? And when he left the sons the farms, the purpose was so you can have the best life possible. I'm going to give you what I already had and you can build on the work that I had already done so you can have a stable life and continue doing my work. Now, when God says, I give you an inheritance, what he's saying is, I'm giving you the best life possible so that you can continue doing the work of me. In other words, the inheritance you receive isn't about, oh, look, I got a million dollars. I get to sit back and go do nothing. I get to prop my feet up and watch every, I get to have a butler on every corner. I get to have a maid. I get to have a nanny because I don't want to raise my kids. I get to do all, not that there's anything wrong with the nanny. Don't take that wrong. I get to do all these things. (laughs) Send angry emails to somebody else. Okay, um, I get it. It, it, we, we look at this idea of an inheritance as a selfish, deserved right. You deserve nothing. But our Heavenly Father, and I get this, I get that in this room there's people who have very different ideas of what a father is. For some of you, a father was abusive, and I want to say, I'm so sorry. Your Heavenly Father is the exact opposite of that. Some of you grew up and, and you didn't even know your father. This father is knowable. Some of you grew up and you had a great father. And I want to say, as good as your father was, this father is so much better because he will never fail you. He wants to leave you an inheritance. Get this, an undeserved gift to carry out your life so it can leave, be lived out the best way possible to continue doing his work. And the result of that is hope. Hope is huge. It says our hope in this inheritance is something that is coming, that this is what is coming for us in this life. Our hope is imperishable. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading, and it is being kept. It is unperishable, imperishable, not capable of corruption or, or decay. Anything else in this world can be destroyed. Not your inheritance from God. Anything else can be and will be taken away from you. Not your inheritance from God. Because they can't do anything to you. It's undefiled. It's free from adultery. It's free from perversion. It's, it's free from the, anything that is the, the technical world there is unsoiled. It's free from the mess that this world has to offer. It is pure. It is unfading. It will stand the test of time. And the world that Peter's writing, and you're going to see this in the next few weeks, when the world that Peter's writing, they're about to face a time of persecution that we can't even fathom. You think your life is hard? Wait for the next couple months when you talk about the people around them. And he's saying, you know what? Even if they kill you, it'll make you stronger because you'll be with me. And what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, so you win-win. Because what I want to give you is hope that this world cannot destroy you when you place your identity as being a follower of me. And that's when you see it as being kept for you. It's guaranteed and guarded. 
Why? Because our inheritance is not something that we have to just wait for, although there is another part of the inheritance. Our inheritance is alive because our Lord and our Father is alive. Let me put it to you like this. Growing up, I had a, a good father. And, and one day my father will, will probably pass away and it will probably leave me some money. But that's not the inheritance I'm going to remember about my father. The inheritance I remember about my father was when I was in sixth grade. He went out and bought me a lawnmower and said, this is your college education. Have fun. And I, I, I could be thankful for that because that was an expense. He, he, he used some of his money, which would eventually become my money, right, to, to buy that lawnmower and to do that stuff. But what he did was he said, here's the lawnmower. And then my, my father um, would come and, and every Saturday, my, my brothers and I, we mowed 33 yards a week at the peak in North Dallas while in school. That's not easy to do. And so on Saturday mornings, not every Saturday, but many Saturday mornings, my father would get up at the crack of dawn and from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., knowing that he on Sunday morning had church, all that stuff that I'm doing, he did as a minister of music. He would work from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. We would come in at noon. And my mom would have hot dogs with chili. I don't know why. It was 113 degrees outside, but we always did that. It was tradition. We'd come in and refurbish with water, refurbish with sunscreen. I'm a redhead. We'd go back out and we'd start mowing again. And we would do all these things. And I sat there and my dad never asked for a tax. He never asked for a penny. He just showed me what it meant to be a man. What it meant to work hard. How to live out your faith. How to invest in other people. How to not be selfish. How to, to not be greedy. How to, how to sacrifice for the benefit of your family. How to put your family first. He showed me those characteristics that I, I sit there and I look and I hope and I pray that my boys see in me as the inheritance they are receiving is an inheritance that they receive from their father. Because the inheritance you ultimately receive from the people you love should not be a financial one. The inheritance you receive is the character of the life they live in and through your life, which shapes and changes you and makes you into the man that you are becoming or the woman that you are becoming because you are your parent's child. Now, some of you are going, amen. Some of you are going, oh no. <laughs> I want to speak to the oh no's. The oh no is the same for the amens. In that, you were offered a new birth, a new hope to a father, and if you're 95 years old in this room, he still wants to be your father, wants to in, come into your life and lead your life. Because the part of, the cool part about being a kid is you don't have to figure it out. <laughs> Did you get that? So when I'm like 40-something years old, okay, I'm 43. When I'm 43 years old and I'm sitting there going, I don't have this life figured out. I should have this life figured out. Why should I? Why this is hard? Why is this hard? And I remind myself, I don't. Life doesn't have to all fall on my shoulders. Leading this church isn't about Daniel Barry's opinion. It's about doing the will of the Father. Because the cool part, it says, our hope is alive. We rejoice because our hope is alive. In other words, the inheritance that our Father is giving us will come to fruition when we die and we're with Him forever. But we still get to see our Father move in our life. We get to see Him do and teach us what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman. 
We get to see how he, he shapes our marriages. We get to see how he, he shapes and, and raises our kids. We get to see all of these things because he is still giving us an inheritance, the presence of him, which will be passed from generation to generation. And that's why he says we rejoice because we are being protected. We are being refined through the struggles. And we are giving God the glory. I don't want to carry the weight of this world on my shoulders anymore. Do you? And I think there's so many of us that come in here and we think, I've got to be a follower of Christ. I've got to be perfect. I've got to figure this out. I've got to do this. Now, hear me. I'm not asking you to be lazy. There's always that one person who goes, pastor said we don't have to do everything. I'm going to sit on my couch. Boop, boop. No, my dad said, here's the lawnmower. Go work. It's to carry out the work of the father, right? But you don't have to be in charge of your life, which is actually one of the most freeing, rewarding peace-filled place to know, moms, your, your life doesn't have to be judged by how good a mom you are. You just need to do what God says. Dad's same. Work, school, you are free to be a kid again and go where your father says to go. So here's the question. How are you doing that? Are you willing to lay the reins of your life back over to the Father and repent when you're not? Are you willing to really say, my identity is going to be to do the will of my Father to receive the inheritance? My identity is going to be known as the statement around here says, I am a follower who makes followers of Jesus. Are you going to free yourself from that? So here's our Monday morning application. We want you to define your life as a living hope and set that as the new paradigm of your life. This is just the foundation. We're going, to get, we're going to get much deeper in how to do this in the intricacies of life, but it starts right here. Is your life going to be found placing your identity as a son or daughter of the king? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it starts there. Because you can't really follow someone if you're not there. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from dead. In other words, we believe that uh, Jesus came down to this earth around 2,000 years ago. And he lived a perfect life and he took on our sin. He took on our mistakes. And he died so that he could be raised again and alive and living and become our living Father. And you could be adopted as a son or a daughter of him. If you've never done that, would you please go by our next step space on the way out there or go to yourcalvary.info slash baptism and fill out that form and let us follow up with you because we want to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ because just because you come here on Sunday morning does not mean you have him in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you need to repent from? What do you need, what's keeping you from being known as his daughter, his son? That's out of characteristic for the way the father behaves. That's, that's not how a child of his should behave. What do you need to repent from? And then come back into the place where you trust him 
and go through it, whatever it takes. And I pray that it brings us back on our knees again, worshiping him, surrendering all that we have because he is good. You are loved. You are a daughter and you are a son of the king. Believe it. Father, help us to surrender, to come before your presence, to come into the power of who you want us to be, to be enamored by your glory, to being captured by your presence. God, you are holy and righteous and good. And we don't deserve your love. Yet you, you came down and you lived a life and you died for us and we are forever grateful. And, and even though we don't deserve it, God, I pray that you would help us to release ourselves from the things that keep us from really embracing ourselves as your son or your daughter and that we would enter into this relationship, a new covenant, a new hope, a new life that would forever be changed. Break the shackles of sin. Break the shackles of our identity, the things that keep us from your presence. And God, help us to surrender in the the presence of who you are. You are mighty. You are holy. You are righteous. And we proclaim that you are king and you are our father of all. So we surrender here and now in the power of your name. Amen.